What up, what up, everybody? How are you doing tonight, family? I am Steve Horney for Integrated Health Sciences, and I would like to welcome to Fire Five, Kento in the house. Kento, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Steve. Thank you. But perfect song for this webinar. We are the best around. We are the best people to give this web webcast that are giving this webcast at this very moment in time, no doubt. So I'm going to talk about how I learned of who you are. So that's kind of your story in my eyes. But then I want you to take us through the ins and outs of where you came from, how you got to where you are, also where you are today, because I know you just moved to New Jersey. Spare no detail. So I met Kento, and it seems like a common trend. Um, this is how I met Lev. This is how I meet a lot of great people. Peter DeQuino is one of my very good friends and an unbelievable clinician. I used to say that he is one of the best acupuncturists in the city. I just merely say he's one of the best clinicians in the city now. And he sees a lot of patients that he co-treats with other physical therapists, which is totally cool and totally great. And when one that's special comes along, he connects me with them and then kind of gets out of the way and then lets us nerd out and see if there's a jive. And Usually there is, and that's how it was with Kento. Peter just said, hey, this guy Kento, he's really special. I think you'd really like him. We ended up hooking up, going grabbing some Korean food, which was delicious. The conversation flowed really well, partially because I was so interested to hear what you had to say because you had taken a lot of courses that were on my upcoming list. Right. And I think that there were a few courses that I had already taken that gave you kind of the heads up, like do, don't, do, don't, whatever. Also, the fact that you're an anatomy professor, I love my cadavers. As many of you people know out there, I was lucky to do one in school. When I say do one, that's like the most disrespectful way to say it. I apologize immediately to the entire cadaver community. I was luck lucky and blessed enough that someone donated their body to science and I was able to learn from it. So in college, I, was, I did a full cadaver uh, head to toe. Then afterwards, I was lucky enough to one of my buddies teaches at Staten Island College. Uh, shout out to Stephen Chow. He brings me in for some of the finals and for some of the midterms to make sure that I can identify some of the bodies. And he's got a big test to prepare, so I help him with that. And then also I went out to the West Coast to do a full body cadaver with Tom Myers, who is known as the anatomy trains guy, which was really interesting. I went in there thinking I was going to come out and be like, oh, these are the anatomy trains, like that's the fascia lines that they go through, nothing else, nowhere else, that is it. And I kind of came out being like, everything's connected to everything. So that's how I met Kento. Kento, why don't you tell us your story? Yeah, that, that's awesome. See, I mean, little comment about fascia too. It's, I mean, it is, everything is connected. And I'm, just to share right now, I'm currently uh, reading a quick textbook where I think it's a European surgeon where they done live people fascia. Whoa. It's fascinating. So if you, they actually have videos with it, so maybe I'll just chat with you later uh, yeah. to show you about it. But it shows that literally everything is connected. Not is it like it just encapsulates the muscle, but it pierces through the muscle. Oh my God. And that if you actually peel in the cadaver too, it, you can see those webs come out. Right. Yeah, tell everyone what fascia is, just so that people who are listening who aren't in the medical community understand what we're talking about right now. 
Sure. So, so the fascia is, I mean, they talk fast. There's a fascial society now, but fascia in the simplest form, I'm going to go as simple as possible because that's what we kind of need to do right now is, is this tissue that covers the muscle that it connects to everything else. And if a good example, and I always use is an orange, if you feel mm. an orange and you see that white stuff in an orange, that, that you can kind of say it's fascia. And you can see how once you take that fascia out and everything is connected with that, once you take that fascia out, you know, the, the orange fruits comes out. And that's what kind of what muscle does too. Once you take that fascia out, muscle just goes blah. Yeah. Like there's no tension in there. So uh, the theory with fascia sometimes is it's everything is connected. So one of the ways we may, we should or may look at the body is how everything is interconnected. Mm -hmm. And you know what, right now, Steve and I were just talking about just what I'm kind of reading through right now, which is so cool to understand. That's some dark web stuff right there. I, I wanna see these videos, I'm very curious. So tell us how you got started, even like go all the way back, like high school, were you into athletics? Was there anything like that? Like tell us your journey and your path to become the clinician that you are today. Oh, wow, didn't expect that question. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, so so I guess, uh, I, don't, I don't know how far I wanna go into it, but uh, you know, I'm that typical high school kid that like played multiple sports, soccer, tennis, um, basketball, basketball, obviously I quit very quickly. Uh, once I had a, like, you know, when I was freshman year, a one six foot one guy dunked over me. I'm like, oh, this is it. Uh, <laughs> <I'm out>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see ya. Uh, but uh, I was always interested in athletics and, um, you know, I wanted to be a tennis coach. I played tennis in college and I wanted to be a tennis coach. And once I started playing tennis, uh, I mean, coaching tennis, I realized how much I hated it. So <laughs> I was kind of lost at the moment. So my father was like, one day went, he went, you want to combine Eastern and Western medicine together somehow? Hmm. And I said, that sounds interesting. And he said, physical therapy might not be a bad one. Wow. So that's when I first got a job as a physical therapy aide in like an aquatics slash regular outpatient clinic. And I liked it more than I thought. Then I took, I, you know, I went to graduate school in UMDNJ, now Rutgers. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, you know, since the beginning, I always thought I, the way I thought about it, and just talking about fashion just now, how everything is interconnected. So I always looked at it in that fashion, you know, not necessarily needed all the time, but it was a very cool way for me, at least to connect things. Uh, so then from there, you know, I graduated and uh, I was a clinic chemical director at a certain company. And then about six years before I came to New York City, uh, working as a cash based practitioner. Uh, and around that time, I started teaching seminars around the uh, nation uh, about breathing and breathing and spinal assessment and movement. Uh, also taught for a instrument assisted software, so a manual therapy when, when you use the tools. Uh, and then started teaching scene whole for cadaver anatomy about five or six years ago. So a lot of teaching. Uh, I stopped teaching seminars about two or three years ago since I had my second child. Uh, you know, I, I love being a clinician and being a teacher, but most importantly for me right now is that being a two, uh, father of my one daughter and one son and a husband, yeah, another most important yeah. thing. Good answer. <laughs> cool. So now where's your new place? So you left the city and then where are you, where are you hold up now in, uh, in Jersey? Oh, right. So I'm currently in Tenafly, New Jersey. So it's 15 minutes from the George Washington Bridge. Uh, I'm here full time now. Uh, and uh, yeah, like we're, we're, we're getting things going. You came to Jersey as I left and went to Queens. You got to hold it down for me, okay? Oh. Not, apparently, it's not big enough for both of us. <laughs> so, Kento, 
start us off. I mean, this I know this is your bread and butter, so take this conversation wherever you want it. But the first question I'd say is, why should you practice breathing? Right. So yeah, this is a great question too, and this is something that I'm I'm sure maybe you do some give some breathing exercise to some people as well. And something that I often hear is, why should I do breathing? Like I don't think about breathing. Like why? And uh, I want to kind of relate it to my my story a little bit instead of saying giving you the logical reasonings behind it, but how I felt why breathing was helpful. Uh, and you know, I just talked about tennis a little bit in college and. When I was in senior in high school, I thought I was going to be the number one singles in my high school team. Um, but I have a two-year-old younger brother, and he actually beat me at senior year. Yeah, crushes me, crushes me. And at the time, mentally, it kills me. You know. <laughs> Sorry, that one just. Yeah, it hurts. It hurt, right? Yeah, you know? I can, I, I can I feel that right now. Yeah, is he is, is he listening right now? You can I don't I don't know, but I'll send him the replay for sure. Yeah. Way uh, to go, dude! Way to go. <laughs> so at the time, I went, you know, because of that, and I couldn't get over that very well. So I was in a slump, you know, like a lot of athletes will go into a slump, and have you know went through to college as well. And one of the things that really helped me out is when I took a sports psychology class in school. And it was one of the sports psychologists that was the sports psychologist for Canadian, uh, the gold medal team, the ice hockey team, and for Karl Malone, the Utah Jazz Karl Malone. Hi, the postman. Right. So I thought that was yeah, great. Yeah, Stockton and Malone, they were just doing it, picks and rolling all day. Yeah, classic, classic stuff. So once I heard Karl Malone, I'm like, okay, I need to listen to this guy. And one of the biggest things was breathing. You know, so like one of the what are the things that you can control to, you know, when you are in a tough situation, you can't control the opponent, but you can focus on your breathing. And once I figured that out, I was able to slowly get out of my slump. And I at that moment, I already knew how breathing can affect how we feel at those moments and just possibly health. Uh, so, you know, we are in a society where we have so much pressure already with social media computers, emails, whatever. So I know there's so much pressure in us where sometimes it feels like we're in a slump sometimes. So that made me think like maybe breathing is something to work on. Uh, and that that kind of got me in the quest of how can be how can breathing can be improved and what is the right way of breathing? Did did that involve a mindfulness practice with that with that sports psychologist or was it just in those moments? Like it what you shared with us is and, and it was nice to hear because it's the same language that we speak, but you said that it gave you something to focus on. And when we break down mindfulness training to make it less woo-woo, it is purely practicing the art of focus. It is an exercise in focus. Everyone's mind's going to wander, bring it back to what you're focused on. And something that's always kind of around you is your breath. So it's something that you can't lose it'll always be there and if you do it diaphragmatically and it's stroking that nice vagus nerve with those calm down nice fibers then maybe you get a little bit of a jab cross as far as calming down the mind but was it in that moment you were using it or at that age and at that time did you start to practice it so yeah uh, that's an amazing uh, segue there and it both definitely both uh because you first have to just you know, like you said, when you're in a slump, you're just thinking, you're like thinking everything, either in 
in the court or in practice, uh, in the performance time, or even just not doing anything because you're anxious. You're like, should I do this? Should I, should I go for a run for five kilos and get whatever? And you forget what you need to actually focus on. So definitely both. Uh, and I would say you have to practice outside of performance first and then go into performance to make it work well. Uh, but absolutely, the, those are the ways that we worked on. Yeah, that's the, that's the typical, like, it sounds like you're saying use it as a vitamin preventatively rather than an aspirin. Like that's more what you're looking for to do it consistently. So it's familiar. And then in the moment, it'll be more familiar to your mind, a more commonplace. And therefore you have a little bit higher efficacy for that or effectiveness. Totally, totally. Right. And I, I, I think it affects us physiologically, affects us physically, affects us emotionally. Uh, and, you know, once, once I graduated PT school, there were, there was, that was just one of those things that I often just thought about. And then after that, I thought about nasal breathing, uh, mm -hmm. where your tongue should be in the position. How can your teeth alignment can affect your, your airway? Right. And that's where, like you talk, I know you, we talked about PRI in the past, but those yeah. are the things we talked about and how can oblique activate. So all those things start to kind of just this, all this information you learn come together in breathing and breathing and just put it together somehow. That's beautiful. And so as far as talking about nasal breathing, how do you end up coaching that? And that's actually, so I hate to say it, it's been interesting because you probably have run in the same thing, but right now it's actually really nice because it doesn't, make people feel like I'm like judging them. But I talk about nasal breathing all the time. But with masks right now, you can't tell whether someone's nasal or mouth breathing. So it actually is almost a little bit better because when I stumble upon, let's say I, like recently, I was working with someone actually like last night and you could just tell that their scalenes were, were really up and bound up. And I watched their breath pattern just a little bit and it was more through the chest. And so I could have that conversation without them feeling like I was judging them or pointing a finger at them saying like, hey, you know, during the day or maybe when you sleep, have you ever gotten any feedback or any sense of whether you breathe primarily through your nose or through your mouth? Instead of me being like, so you're a mouth breather because I can see it because you're breathing through your mouth. And that's really bad. So you should feel bad about yourself. And so it's given me that actually like one little step back to be like, oh, this is nice. I don't have to feel like I'm being accusatory with it. But in general, how do you start that conversation with someone if you either A, see that they are a mouth breather, literally, or you get the sense by looking at the rest of their body that you have a hunch that they're a mouth breather? Right, totally. That's that's hilarious. I I love how you speak sometimes. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like just to let you know you you are screwed up because of mouth breathing. Terrible. <laughs> um. So the, before I even say anything, um, you know, as I got better with the breathing, understanding of breathing, is the understanding that breath is survival. Mm -hmm. Without oxygen, we will not survive. So what I, I tell people how your mouth how your breathing is not incorrect because whatever you need to do right now you are doing it to survive so i'm not telling you what you're doing is wrong you know what i am telling you is that maybe mouth breathing cannot is not is not um, appropriate at this moment in time because mouth breathing like don't get me, if i did some kettlebell swings and i'm doing it for five minutes i am gonna mouth breathe 
Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. So nasal breathing is going to be more towards a resting state. So if I'm just kind of listening to you, I'm going to try to breathe in through your no my nose. If I'm just possibly when I'm driving into traffic, maybe I'll breathe in through my nose instead of my mouth so I don't get road rage. <laughs> yeah. So I think when I kind of say it that way, where I know that it, you know, you're breathing this way because you're doing what you're doing the best you can to survive in this current world. Mm -hmm. So I think that helps out. I think I'm not sure. Maybe as you're listening to it, it's like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Because um, okay. often, yeah, often I'm, I'm maybe you hear it from my your patients too. But I try to go about it gently, most part, and then eventually some patients might say. So Kenta, you, what you're really telling me is I'm really fucked up. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, 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 yeah. I mean, maybe, but not because of this. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, these are some things that we need to work on. Yeah, you know what? And you might appreciate this. Maybe you do, or maybe you don't have this, but I actually have it on our website, the TED Talk for the shut your mouth breathing. And it gives me a bit of an alibi that like, yo, I'm not, picking on you right now. This is something that I look at with everyone. It's something I feel strongly about. So I'm going to send you a link to it and at your leisure, check it out and report back to me. And I think that it gives me a little bit of a less like finger pointy, but also, and you probably get this, and this is actually why I tried to understand functional medicine in particular diet and digestion better is because if your body and your immune system is clicked on more. And simply the simplest reason perhaps is that there's out of balance bacteria in your small intestine. Your immune system's reading that saying like, I don't like that, I'm gonna switch on. You end up doing that, unfortunately part of the immune system can be histamine and you're gonna end up having trouble nasally breathing. And then unfortunately you don't nasally breathe because it's challenging. Then it gets harder to nasally breathe because you're not nasally breathing. And now we're into more of a mouth breathing technique, which unfortunately makes your body think that it's in a little bit more of a stress state. And now we're not doing ourselves any benefit by getting more blood to our intestines, which happens when we're in a more rest and digest state. And so it's interesting to play this game of trying to help people or find in that moment what that lowest hanging fruit is. But when you get asked that question, Kenta, when someone's like, yeah, if I could breathe through my nose, I would. How do you tend to approach that? That's a great question too. Like, um, I guess it depends on what it is that's blocking them. Um, mm -hmm. If there, uh, there are some tests and I don't really know that there's like a clear test of if there's an actual structural blockage or some people are uh, get infections very easily. So there, there are certain times for that. And if it is like a blockage and if it is a sinus infection that is often happens to the person, then I would just kind of gently say, hey, this is something that you might want to take a look at. But mm -hmm. um, if they don't want to nasal breathe uh, at those moments, I'm not against it. You know, so I there's many ways to improve and uh, not a breathe nasal breathing per se, but breathing. You know, I can still have them breathe out long through their mouth and gently breathe into their mouth if they wanted to. Not the best. I wouldn't recommend it. Mm -hmm. um, but if that is the case, I'll find different ways. That makes perfect sense. So next question, I used to not think about breathing. Why should I now? Right. Right. So uh, 
when we are going through this, I think we just kind of put into the videos before, but I'm going to talk more about from a physical perspective this time, because I think it's just the easiest way. And we are physical therapists. So it's not saying, you know, like if you don't breathe like this, well, you might have, you know, anxiety issues. Instead of that, I'm going to go into more a physical representation with it. So um, we have when you when we're breathing, right, it, we are often thinking, do we breathe in through the neck this way? We breathe into the chest or breathe into the stomach, right? And then if you're a person, maybe like a PRI person or a DNS person or a, a different type of breathing individual, you might think about breathing into the back and think about 360 degrees of breathing, right? And just to kind of keep it very simple right now, if I had to choose any of those breathing that we just talked about, I'll probably pick 360 breathing. Not all the time, but that would probably be something I would want to do. So I took a, I made a video of myself doing it, of showing how, uh, <laughs> how breathing into the chest only, breathing to the stomach only can affect our posture. So Steve, do you mind if I go into the YouTube video that we uploaded? And everyone who's watching right now, bear with us. This may not go all that well, but let's see how <laughs> go for it. All right, so I'm gonna mute myself here. So let's see if I can start the video. Hi, this is Kento at Kamyon Physical Therapy. Welcome to our channel. So let's talk about the breathing effect on posture. Number one, chest breathing dysfunction. So notice here I'm chest breathing only and notice the back starting to arch when I chest breathe. So my center of mass goes forward and my body has to adapt to that posture or change. Here, I'm going into stomach breathing. So when I inhale, the stomach just expands and nothing else really expands. So notice my center of mass is gonna shift forward as I breathe. So if my center of mass shifts forward, my brain and body has to adapt to that position, hence changing posture. All right, did that work? Did you guys hear it? Yeah, that was awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that went great. I don't want to jinx it. Okay. Tell me if that didn't go well or that it did go well. Keep on going, Kento, all you. All right, that was great. So, um, you know, I'll ask you because you were the one that watched it and I know you're right there. Like, did you see how, and if I breathe into the chest only, the center of mass kind of goes up and forward. So yeah. your brain just has to adjust to this change of fluid in, in the chest or the stomach, wherever. And if it's a diaphragm breathing, it's, if it's just stomach breathing, the stomach gets extended and the, the fluid goes forward without anything else really compensating for it. So the body brain has to eventually just arch their back or you have to shift your upper back backwards to kind of adjust and adapt to what's going on. So for, for those that are not sure why breathing matters, at least from my perspective, when I see individuals breathe in a certain manner, not only does it tell me like what state this person is, because if they're like this, I know they tend to be more tense or they're kind of their minds are running a little bit more, but also they might be compensating because of a breathing that keeps going forward or the neck going up so much. And they have to, my body has to figure out how to live within that breathing. That makes perfect sense. And that's a really nice uh, diagram. I feel like those, 
that wasn't a that was a very helpful but it wasn't a particularly complicated video and i think a lot of the videos are just plain wrong and don't necessarily make sense or they're hyper complicated and you can't even understand what they're saying that was really nice to show that pattern and that kind of hyper lordotic or as most people would say like an archy back that ends up happening with that chest breathing it's so common and again it's nice to have something because you don't want people to feel like you're picking on them. It's nice to have be able to send someone something and say like, hey, tell me what you think of this video. So it's coming from almost like another source, the, another expert says this. And then maybe if you have a problem that enough people had that someone decided to make a video about, maybe it's going to be okay. And that's nice. Right. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I, what I often, I think you find this often with a patient too, or anyone really, where you know this certain technique or philosophy or theory works for this individual, but they, it just doesn't grab to them. It doesn't just kind of resonate with them. But for whatever reason, when they learn it and go to a course or they learn it from someone else that gives it a different twister or just, and then they get it and they do the drill correctly and they get it, right? So I think education is such a big thing in general just because of that. Like, you know, some people, I've. I know what I need to do with this person, but when let's say you or someone else says, oh yeah, you just need to just breathe in through that chest a little bit more. And then you're like, oh, that's all, that's all I need to know. Right. Yeah. And I think we need to hear things. Let's say, let's say that there's a modification or something that needs, not needs to change, but something that perhaps would be beneficial if it changed. I think most people need to hear that a minimum two times from two different people. For some people it's three, for some people, who aren't ready to change it could be any number of people but then it's also a pattern modification and it's having enough um, patience for that person to negotiate through the fact that something is going to be changing and it's not exactly where you want it to be right now but sticking with it would be a benefit and so it takes a little bit of time so the more that people hear it and the more ways that they get coached then the faster they might get to a little bit better pattern, then the quicker that that pattern can replicate and become the new pattern. So I, that's I think it, that was real. That was a really great video. Do you have any other videos you want to show right now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, sorry for all the video guys, but I I did this editing and I thought that was decent. It's really uh, so, good. <laughs> so the next one is uh, where I am actually keeping my abdominals, let's say the deep cores such as the transverse abdominis and the internal oblique, on enough. So it allows me to breathe in through the back and the front. So it's kind of 360 breathing. And take a moment, just because again, we have a, a great audience right now of patients and clinicians and things like that. Just tell us briefly the anatomy of your trunk as far as your abdominals are concerned that you want people to know to understand what, what's going on here. Oh, sure, absolutely, absolutely. So um, because we're talking about breathing, we're gonna talk about the diaphragm real quick. So the diaphragm is the muscle, the important respiratory muscle which is kind of like domed up in this kind of fashion like a regular like a football dome um, so that is the most important breathing muscle that we have if we don't have it pretty much we die and then we what you know some let's say what's documented that is influencing or the what the diaphragm influences is the core uh, so we got the core here and there's core muscles that we got let's say primarily four we got the six-pack muscle, the six-pack, sexy six-pack that I know Steve has, <laughs> and I don't have it. I got the That's it. That's all we got. Yeah, I got the dad bod now, so I, I ain't showing <laughs> at this point. Uh, so we got the six-pack muscles, the erectus abdominis, and then we got 
the oblique muscles. So if you've ever gone like side crunches with uh, any kind of exercise app or exercise class, we're talking about the oblique muscles that actually kind of connects this way or this way. And the last one is the transverse abdominal, which is this, the deepest muscle. And one thing to note for people that are thinking core is in the front, that's not necessarily the case. If you actually open up a cadaver, the core and internal oblique goes from here and all the way back to close to this, oh, oh, where my fingers are. It's yeah. pretty darn expansive. So when people talk about back issues, I often talk about the core because it goes to the back. It encompasses whole, you're pretty much your 80% of your trunk. Yeah, and that's that's all, the, the fact that, and again, that that internal oblique going into that thoracodorsal fascia, the fascia that's in the back. And again, we're talking about fascia, but realizing that those abs go all the way, the deeper ones go all the way around to the back is something I even think as clinicians, we forget sometimes. So it's nice to hear you say that. Thank you for reminding everyone. Oh, I love it. I love it. Like I can, I can go a little bit on the thoracolumbar fascia. Should I, or should oh, I not? Nothing. Would make, and I'm not even being sarcastic. Like nothing would make me happier right now. <laughs> so, um, cause right now I, I talk, I, I add the thoracolumbar fascia understanding for back issues a whole lot. And, uh, I, maybe I should have done a cross section because I didn't think I was going to go there. Uh, but anyway, so the, the thoracolumbar fascia we're talking about, is this that fascia thing that we were talking about before in the back? So Steve uh, is going to touch where the thoracolumbar fascia is, I guess. So around that region. So that, that fascia there's layers to it. This is one, the densest part of the body that has so much fascia. So the cool part is the oblique muscles kind of goes around and kind of encompass and encapsulate the muscles of the back, which I think is really cool. So the reason I think that is important to understand is if your obliques are working, I actually think the pull comes from the sides of the back and it actually regulates the back muscle activity. Because if it's not, the back muscle will, so, so let's say this is a, so hold on here. So I got the pelvis here. You have that the whole time? Out of, yeah, of course. <laughs> so the back, let's say the back muscle's right here in this position here. And when the muscle is activated, it gets fatter, right? So it gets fatter in, in this direction, right? So when that happens, there's more mass in the back and it could compress into the spine. But if I have the obliques on it and it, pulls it this way and the the muscle gets compressed or actually gets thinner it probably is going to be better because it distributes the forces cleaner yeah. when you are doing things like i don't know a bird dog or whatever a deadlift or whatever it may be so sensing the obliques and tva somewhat in in activities i put a lot of emphasis on because i know it regulates somehow like how the back will work now, does the lat insert into the thoracodorsal fascia at all? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Thank you. So could the lat be considered a trunk stabilizer and rotator and all these things? For sure. For sure. So we're going, we're going deep here, Steve. We're going deep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. so nowadays, and this is just my, my clinical process in the past year or so, and I it, it came from a friend named uh, Mike Zhao. And if you ever want a personal trainer that just blows your freaking mind, mm -hmm. this is the guy to go for. But uh, th this guy understood how, oh, at least show me how to do it. But the when we get the obliques, 
working, the thoracolumbar fascia, if you, I know you can picture it, in the back will be pulled this way, transverse plane-wise. So that okay. stabilizes the back really nice in thoracolumbar fascia. Go for it. So, think. Yep, perfect, perfect. So then once that, that obliques is there to stabilize the back and the thoracolumbar fascia, then we can include the lats where it pulls diagonally up the other way and it, it just starts to strengthen and creates the elasticity of the thoracolumbar fascia even more. Yeah. So once you start utilizing it, then the obliques even gets on more because it's opposing each other. Because sometimes if you think about lats, if you activate your lats too much, you extend your back too much because the thoracolumbar fascia gets compressed. So you have to regulate that somehow. So if you can use it in that fashion where it pull, the, the lumbar, uh, the lats actually contract, so the thoracolumbar gets, fascia gets pulled, that's a different story. And there's an article out there that the thoracolumbar fascia can uh, withstand close to 22,000 pounds because of the amount of fascia layers it has. So it's, it's strong as hell if you use it correctly. And so, so that's interesting. So, I, and I heard one of your students I talked to, he said that at one of your courses, and I think this was a really great, great quote that you had, was that you said when talking about stability and with exercise is that like playing spin the bottle at a family reunion, we're trying to create tension here. Right. Is that what I said? No, I said it, but I thought it was so good that I wanted to like share it because, and I haven't had an opportunity in like 17 webinars, but this is the first one. So yeah, I said it, it was awesome and hilarious, but you could have said it too, but now we both said it. Feel free to use that one. I'll take, I might take that one. I have to review back and say what you just said. Oh my God. Because my last name's horny. It just makes it so much better. It's great. Yeah. It's all yours. Take it and run with it. See, oh, yours, you're welcome. Oh my God. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. Uh, but yeah, like uh, yeah. just, just learning how to utilize that. Cause once I heard that thoracolumbar fascia can like handle so much, and it makes sense because it's layered. And if you see the cadavers too, there's a ton of layers on that thing. So I, I'm sure you've heard like, um, or I'm not sure, like what I've heard, but like how to stretch an IT band or how to stretch fascia, it takes close to like two tons or 2000 pounds. So that's kind of like fascia of like maybe one or two layers, but then thoracolumbar fascia being kind of like thick and lots of layers, that made sense to me. And how, how strong, uh, our body is made if we use it as this somewhat of an elastic property. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Is there another video that you had to, to throw that on? I apologize that I like brought this all the way over here with my thoracal dorsal or thoracal fascia, but yeah. It's okay, it's okay. That, that was very, uh, that was, very, oh, I thought that was awesome. Um, I Wait a minute. Yeah, so let's go, I guess let's go into the, 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 the thought process of like how, the, how can breathing affect flexibility? Mm -hmm. So I thought that's a good one too, where, uh, and this is a video just showing kind of like a before and after, and it is up to the person if they want to believe it or not, uh, because it's kind of funky and weird if you've never done it to help range of motion. But, um, you know, the easiest thing for me to show what, what range of motion improves for people are the shoulders and the hips and the neck. Yeah. Because it's, you know, if this is, if this is where we breathe, this thing here, this thing here, this thing here, and the hips there is the most adjacent to it. So if we change somewhat of how the shapes of our 
a trunk or the bones move, it will affect these areas. So this is just a video for that. So let me just start that and then see if you, we can go into our conversation. Hi, this is Kento at Kamyon Physical Therapy. Welcome to our channel. Sorry, sorry. I forgot that we, we forgot to do the, the ab breathing one. I went, oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> the cool I was sorry, guys. all day. That music is very, very catchy and very, very pleasant. Continue. All right, let's go to this one. This one, this one. Oh, hold on. Let me do this one. This one will be uh, shorter as well. Hi, this is Kento at Kamyon Physical Therapy. Welcome to our channel. Now let's talk about breathing with abdominal opposition. What we mean here is when you inhale, your deep abdominals are there to oppose the pressure. So first you exhale fully to gain deep abdominals and intercostals to work. While you maintain the core pressure, you inhale. In the arrows here, you notice is that your chest in the front expands and your back also expands. So when you compare it to the chest in abdominal breathing, chest it goes kind of forward and up only, and the stomach only, only goes forward. So compared to that, this breathing is going to expand you forward and back, which tends to be a more balanced breathing. That's it. Thanks for watching. Okay, so I hope that was easy to see. It's a very short video, but the, the one that I showed we were talking about before we got into the thoracolumbar fascia um, conversation, I just activate, like get, got my air all the way out, my ribs down and got my abdominals to be on. And then while I was kind of holding, holding onto some of that pressure, I inhaled. And that allows my back to expand a little bit more. I hope some people saw it, it's not easy to see. Um, and compared to the chest and stomach breathing, I hope that looks a little more balanced to the, to the audience. Yeah, I think that that was really nice. And, and so we have a video, uh, which I'm, I'm not going to show, but we say breathing behind the shield. I think whoever ex kind of like exposed you to this in the beginning is just kind of the vocabulary that you end up using to talk about it. But the way that we explain it, and I genuinely want your opinion on this. And, and if you don't agree, and if there's some things that you think could be different, especially with breathing, like very intelligent people can disagree on this and it's okay. And I'm not, I don't have this like tattooed on my back anywhere. So I really do want your opinion, but we teach it three ways. So the first thing for breathing behind the shield, we teach breathing. So we lay them down on their back. Maybe their legs are up on a couch or something like that, just so they're in a relatively pelvis is facing rib cage, rib cage is facing pelvis position. And the reason when I say that is a lot of people, when they stand, they end up being very open scissor like that. So if I can lay you on your back and get your legs up, I'm going to take some of the muscular tension out of the backs of the legs and the front of the legs, which would make your pelvis either rock forward or back. And we just want it to be neutral. And then if we're laying down on the ground, the rib cage is in a reasonably neutral position. So we put them there, one hand on the chest, one hand on the belly, and have them more focus on the inhale at this moment, in through their nose, breathe deep down into their groin, and just try and feel it in their belly hand as much as possible, and as little in their chest hand as much as possible. 
three to five reps of that, just fine. We teach it the whole way out, but most people have trouble with one or two or all three of them. And I just let them practice, but so I don't bombard them, just three to five, five to 10, whatever it is. The next is we teach them how to build the shield is the way that we talk about it. And that's attempting to get the abdominals or the front muscles in here to fire up. And the way that we use that is twofold. We use the hard exhale and we give them two different cues because it's interesting. I can't really find a real, and people will get very dogmatic, like, no, it has to be blowing out candles or no, it has to be fogging up the glass. Like there's no way. And I think you might have an opinion on which those might, which of those might be doing something better or worse, but we give them both and say, I want you to exhale all the way out through your mouth like you're trying to blow out a thousand candles on the ceiling and i also then next want you to try <sighs> exhaling through your mouth like you're trying to fog up glass all the while and this is just a, a nice little like adjunct that i have is i put them in an upside down plank position so picture me laying on my back with my elbows directly over my shoulders my forearms parallel to the ground big tight knuckle fist and then i have them as they exhale drive those elbows straight up towards the sky, which encourages those abdominals. And so each time I'm saying, which one do you feel more in your abdominals and helps you knit your ribs down onto your pelvis a little bit better? Again, knitting the ribs was something that I had never heard of until we started teaching with yoga instructors, which was amazing. So we're pulling from strength, we're pulling from yoga, we're pulling from all over the place. So now it's breathing is the first one, nasally, belly building the shield is the second one exhale hard driving your elbows up knitting those ribs down and then the third is breathing behind the shield that you just built so do that same exhale hard kind of give it your best one get those ribs really knit down switch on those abdominals and try and breathe behind those abdominals deep down into your groin to fill up your belly and your back so that's like breathing day one. And I would say I have five new patients this week, four of them, I sent them that video and I worked on it. Give me genuine constructive criticism and tell me where you think that that's thumbs up, thumbs down, or where it might be more applicable for a certain population versus another population. Right, right. So that's great. And I, it's, it's, it, it speaks to your, your, um, personality and who you are, Steve, that you want constructive criticism right yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Bring it on, man. Uh, no, no. Right. <laughs> but in let's instead of that, like, because it's really hard to criticize someone's treatment style, if that makes sense. Like to me, it doesn't make uh, I me mean, sure there, there might be something that I might do differently. But who knows? I, it might be a completely different person in front of me. Uh, but I think you were thinking about, um, I'll go back to that fogging up thing and then blowing out the candle. Yeah, that's what I really want your opinion on for sure. Uh, yeah. and, but that's what I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's go back to that because we, I use, I still use both. So really the end result I want from it is no, like either blowing out the candle or through the fog. I want those ribs going down, like into internal rotation at the end, get those obliques on to hug that rib cage in there. So as long as I get those. I don't care which way it's done. Mm -hmm. However, if the individual, and this is just a more of a, a anecdotal thing that I've noticed, and this is how I'm logically understanding it, is if the individual is very tight in the scalene's neck throat, 
and they kind of, let's say their chest is puffed out and they, and you can tell this doesn't go down, but the abs are turned on. That's when I'll say, hey, I'm pretty sure this thing here is not letting that rib go down. Mm -hmm. So can you just relax? Fog, and, and I don't even, like, I say fog as an example because it's easy yeah. to say, but it's really about letting your throat relax to just get the ribs go down. So that's what I tend to do because when the rib don't go down here, these tension is really difficult to go away. So, mm -hmm. you know, for people that have brachial plexopathy or thoracic outlet syndrome, learning that is very helpful, I think, because a lot of times it's tension based. Gotcha. But if it's an individual that doesn't get their abs on, sometimes a little stronger exhale is a better way to go about it. Like so it. just go, just get it all out. Yeah. yeah, so that's why balloon breathing is very helpful sometimes, or just saying that, just blow the tissue away from you or blow paper away from you. Those are just ways to just kind of activate differently. And I think this is more like coaching and how the individuals kind of um, understand things. I, you know, not that what I'm saying is correct, but that's how I would, uh, understand it. I don't know if that was helpful. That was quite helpful. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Cool. Now do you, it seemed like you had, and just to, just to kind of talk, I feel like we've covered like, should you have a breathing practice knocked out? Absolutely. Um, I'm not used to think about breathing. I hope by this point in time, we've justified pretty well that, you know, breathing is somewhat important and it should at least make your top 25 things that you're maybe focusing on. For us, it makes our top eight at least. So and can breathing help my core? When we talked about the abdominals, is that, do you think that we covered that pretty well? I think so. A, a pretty good amount. And another way, maybe just a different perspective on it. Yeah. Of course, the core includes everything, right? Like it depends on who you talk to really. Because yeah. I've heard so many different things about core. So I, I really don't care what the def definition of core is, but there's different thought process then into it. And I think those are things to just see what resonates with all of us. So, you know, when you talk about the core, some people talk about the core, like the abdominal muscles, the diaphragm muscle, the back muscle, the pelvic floor, those all might be connected. So assuming that people know that, how I want to talk about possibly the core in this case is what's happening from a fluid perspective. Mm -hmm. So above the chest, we're talking about more gas pressure, right? So because there's more, there's two lungs in there, so there's air. So there's air molecules here. So it's more uh, mnemonic in a sense. There's more, uh, it, the molecules are more spread out so you can compress and decompress. And below the diaphragm is more fluid-based. So it's the organs, it's more, more not water per se, but fluids, there's more mm -hmm. stuff there. And the fluid, like the water in a sense, can't change in volume, right? You can't change the volume. The gas you can because you can compress the gas and open the gas depending on the heat. And water, because it's liquid, you can't. So in a sense, this is very, very strong. It, it, it can consider it as a hydraulic pressure system. So I know this is very strong. So by utilizing the core muscles, back muscles, diaphragm, we influence those pressures and where it flows. And when I say that, I say that as a core because anything in here is a core to me. In your yeah. case, you said digestive system. If your digestive system is better, chances are your core could turn on better. Oh, guys. If your stomach's spasming, some, like the stomach organ is spasming, I don't know if your abs wants to relax or it could be really tense. So, you know, 
I don't want to be too kind of like out there, but that's just another way to look at core to me through breathing. Because if I move that air back and forth in diaphragm, you change where that fluid dynamic goes and see how it affects movement. That, that sounds, and, and it's nice to just hear you say, I, I, for anyone who's out there, a clinician or not even, I can't explain who he is. Gray Cook is one of the most famous physical therapists of our generation. Like one day, Kento and I both hope to be remembered like Gray Cook. Good luck. Let's see how it goes. But I took his course 14 years ago. And when I say his course, it's called a functional movement screen. It's a thing that a ton of trainers do. Like if you go to Equinox, there's a variation. And it's good because it's an assessment. Listen, could some things be better, worse, for sure, no doubt. But is it good that people in the strength and fitness community are starting to think about assessments? And there's a bit of a standardization there. For sure, six thumbs up as far as I'm concerned, fantastic. So this is back when he actually used to teach the course. And what he was saying is, listen, if you get a kid who had something that doesn't agree with their digestion, who ate it at lunch, and they had a late lunch, and then you're getting them for strength training after school, their abs are not going to fire if they are not having good digestion. And it was at that time, it was like, no way. Like I can't, no one's even thinking about that stuff. Like it's, it was just, can you do crunches? Can you hold a plank? Things like that. And it was really nice that he at least look one layer deeper because if it doesn't feel, and, and the way that I can put it is I think that the nervous system is really good at figuring out what makes it feel uncomfortable in any given moment. And if it doesn't feel comfortable, which is something that indigestion would make you feel, it's not going to give you full horsepower. It's just going to put a governor on, shut it down a little bit. So it's really good to hear the way. Did that spark your mind in any direction with that? Uh, the only thing that came up on my mind is the word safety, yeah. uh, because you know the digestive system, all that is in that midbrain area where all the cranial nerves comes out. So, uh, you know, when I think of it, something like that, is am I safe? Am I you know am I in a survival state? So, when you don't feel safe, it's really hard to create changes. You tend to go into your older patterns or in a fight or flight stage. Um, so yeah, that you know that was really it. That you know struggle. Cool. Then can, breathing can help my flexibility. What? You like that? That was awesome. I've been practicing that one all week. <laughs> You've been thinking about it. Uh, so yeah, so uh, you know, we just talked about a little bit before. Sorry, the video was a little confusing to some, uh, maybe everyone. But when when we're talking about flexibility, and the easiest thing to show in the video that I'm going to show is a shoulder flexibility. So when the breathing is off, let's say it's chest breathing too much the person might have too, too little of shoulder internal rotation. And when you actually get the breathing to work well, their internal rotation might improve or shoulder flexion might improve just because this got influenced. It happens to the hip as well. It happens to the neck as well, if done well. Uh, so I'm going to show you a video. This is a bit long, so I'm going to possibly skip the intervention part, but just know that it's a breathing intervention and then what happens to the end. Uh, so it's like two minutes instead of one minute. So let me just start it. Go for the whole thing. We'll go for the whole thing, okay. Hi, this is Kento at Kamiyo Physical Therapy. Welcome to our channel. Test. So, okay. 
Okay. I hope it wasn't that long. That was great. I think it was really, honestly, I think people seeing, and sorry for anyone who's listening to the podcast right now, you just lost two minutes of your life. But either way, I think for anyone who's watching, that was really helpful. And and just to see that it doesn't need to be glamorous. It doesn't need to be these crazy putting anything here is just really focusing on that exhale to get those obliques, really using the nasal breathing, maybe to get the diaphragm a little bit better, things like that. It doesn't have to be challenging to be effective or doesn't have to be complicated to be effective right right yeah so like the this individual here that you know who was tight in his shoulder both sides and after he did it he got some good shoulder especially his left side he got a bunch of shoulder interpretation left so it's really just cool to know that it happens when i i mean i don't know if when you've seen it before but when i first saw it i was like wow okay whatever i did with my shoulder like to improve people's joint mobility it's a lie but it's not always a lie but it just goes to show there's another way to improve shoulder rotation. Yeah, and I think that, it, so I'm glad we already touched on this, so it won't be the first time we're talking about it in this webcast, but I think there's a neurological component and sometimes there can be a mechanical, specifically with a hip. So I'm gonna take you, walk you through a little demonstration I end up doing multiple times a week, specifically for people who have hamstring tightness, let's just say that. So what I'm gonna do is get into this open scissor position that so many people are in. So you can even see like this. So I am as open scissored. This is like Jersey strong person at all times. I don't know if you're going to be able to see this all that well, but we'll try and do it. If you do it as a home, that's probably the easiest way. But if I'm in this open position right here and I try and get my leg to extend so that I feel a hamstring stretch, I can literally only get to here. So I'm open up like this. I'm open scissor. I would say I'm not therefore doing a good breathing pattern. There can be other things going on there for sure, but I don't think there's any way I can be doing what Kento was just coaching and also be in this position. And then when I raise my leg up, I literally can only get to here. I'm going to do one rep of what Kento just asked, what I've asked. So I'm going to exhale really hard. Okay. 
and then I'm reinflating into my belly. And look at how much higher my leg goes. I'm not even bullshitting. Like I just moved, I would say, the pelvis into a nicer position, which tucks it under, which ends up giving you more hamstring flexibility. Did the length of my hamstring change? Absolutely not. It's the same exact hamstring I had 20 seconds ago, but I ended up putting my pelvis in a good position that allows my hamstring to demonstrate its length. On the other side, I also think that there's a neurological component. So I think that that's a good example because it hits both of them. I think that my mind wants me to be back how I was when I was a baby, when I would just lay on my back and my pelvis would be stacked with my rib cage and I belly breathe and everything was great, just napping and pooping, napping and pooping. Everything was wild and amazing. And that is when that nervous system was like, okay, like everything's good. Like we're stacked up. Let me give you some horsepower. We're stacked up. Let me give you some length. But unfortunately, we strap ourselves to desks all day. And then we, there's no way that we can just go straight from here and being kind of um, patterned towards this. And then eventually biomechanically or we'll even say like bony wise change into this position and then have our nervous system feel as safe as it does when we're nice and stacked up and have good intra-abdominal pressure. So I, I think it's kind of a twofer. Where, where's your mind go with that? No, I think it's, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think it's a twofer too. It could be structural, it could be mechanical. Uh, I think when an individual um, has stretched, uh, like especially like hyperflexible individuals, when they stretched it out so much that it does make structural changes, um, those are the ones that would be, um, I would think there's a mechanical thing uh, that they actually need more stability. They need to actually understand that they can really turn it back on. But um, for those that are really tight, oftentimes when I do that kind of breathing stuff, not all of them, you know, uh, there's other interventions you do, but that helps a lot. Yeah. And, and I noticed, except a lot of times, and you probably see this too, if someone had an extreme growth velocity spurt, let's say when they were like 12 to when they were 14, they just shot up clearly like me. I mean, I went from five foot two to five foot six in six years. It was a wild ride for my body. Kidding. The people that you see that were like, I graduated eighth grade at five foot one. And then I graduated high school at six foot four. Their hamstrings are going to be nuts. And, and that's a totally different animal. But if you do get a sense and, and almost, I would almost encourage people is if you want to find out whether you're the, I have really tight hamstrings because I had no mobility training during a serious growth spurt, do some interventions that would make your nervous system feel a little bit better, that would put you in a little bit more mechanical advantage. And if you get nothing out of it, you're probably who I'm talking about right now. So how can I integrate breathing into strength training? Yeah. So that's, a, the, as I was thinking about that, I, I might want to change that because it's so, I think it's way more complex than just, just that. So it's hard for me to simplify it in, in my eyes. And uh, I would love to, uh, but in my current thought process, it was hard for me to. So um, let's, say, let's say if I'm just gonna answer that, how do I integrate into strength training? And let's say it's more about heavier lifts. I would do like a higher, uh, high, not high rep, like high weight uh, deadlift or a squat. If that's the case, I want to make sure that pressure is maintained and it's strong. Uh, if that is the case, the way that we just did the breathing will be a phenomenal thing to do as you're doing the lift. 
Um, but the reason that I say it's a little more complex than that is because when I think, think strength training, it's not just about these powerlifting type of movement patterns, but it could be like a kettlebell swing or a, you know, a, a split squat or a single leg deadlift or whatever it may be that is a lot more complex than that. So if that is the case, if that is the case, I hope the training that we do is helpful. So they do when they do the drills, the things flow better. Mm -hmm. But if that isn't the case, uh, when we're strength training, I want to make sure the position of the pelvis in the rib cage encourages those things. So if it's an individual that tends to arch their back too much or their neck is like super tight this way, like you said before with the plank, I might tell them to protract the scapula to get that rib cage a little more in. Or I might say, use your hamstring to tuck your pelvis a little bit more, which allows the, the exercise itself to bring that pelvis and rib cage to the better position, and then they just breathe in that position. Uh, so they allow the strength training part to help the breathing instead of the breathing to help the strength training, because it's not one way or the other. Right, and that, again, kind, kind of comes back to just getting those two facings there, whatever you have to do. Like I know that you're of the PRI mindset and, and I am too. Again, I think everyone has a bit of a bias towards things that helped them out. Yeah. Like I am that classic pattern. For anyone who's listening, PR is Postural Restoration Institute. Kento can talk about it in a second, but in general, they think that most people, 70 or 80%, fall into typical patterns on their left side versus their right side. Whereas in the past, when patterns were discussed in physical therapy, they were thought of right and left did the same thing. That would be a shout out to Yonda. So that you would have this thing called an upper cross syndrome and a, a lower cross syndrome. And this is kind of how people were. And that was it. And it was on the right and the left together. And it was on the right and the left together in the neck and in the chest. And Ron Ruska came through and kind of said, you know what, the patterns that I'm seeing consistently have some sort of laterality to them, meaning that the right doesn't always behave as the left, the left doesn't always behave as the right. And in general, these things on the left behave this way and these things on the right behave this way. And so I like hearing you talk about the hamstring as far as putting that pelvis into that position. So now let's say that you have someone who benefits from that sort of stuff, meaning that they, they do benefit from getting their hamstring to switch on, and then it tends to get their pelvis and the rib cage in a better position. And then you would want them to carry that position over into their deadlift. Do you force feed them exercises at the beginning and then hope that it carries over? Or do you actually have cues? Let's say someone's deadlifting. Do you have any cues that you'll carry over from what you learn during their assessment that, oh, their left hamstring is more important than maybe I thought it was, do you give lateral cues? Because I'm starting to play around with this in my mind to get people to do deadlifts or squats or differently based on what their assessment is as far as laterality. Wow, you're just asking for it, man. <laughs> I know, let's do this. You're like, this is the time. Um, <laughs> Now's the time to nerd out in front of everyone right here. All the Korean places are booked up. We can't go get our Korean food again and just nerd out. We're doing it right here, right now in front of everyone. Right. Well, next time we'll have to do it during outdoor dining or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll just go by. Um, I'll try to simplify it, too. Is, so let's say, let's say in this case, and I, you know, I'm not always about doing everything to the left as well. So it's just 
just different a little bit, you know? Sure. So whenever, let's say the person doesn't have a left hamstring, mm -hmm. let's, let's say the person doesn't and, or can't sense it or it's not, it's a weak. Yeah, what does that mean? For someone who's listening who has no idea what we're talking about, someone not having a left hamstring means. So in, in this current context, me could be many everything, but in this current context, this person's hamstrings on the left side is lengthened so it anterior tilts, so it tilts the pelvis forward on the left side more than the right side. So for them, let's say when they load the left leg a little more or when they do a deadlift, they might not feel their left hamstring supporting their system as much. Or maybe it's painful or it's just that they feel weaker. So let's, if that is the case, I, I think Steve is asking is how, what, how, what would I do? What would I do? So possibly if that is the case, I might just do a left hamstring exercise to have them feel the left hamstring again. But I think what, what, I'm, what he may be looking for is what happens during a deadlift. Maybe, maybe, right? So what I might just say, and I don't know how much you've taken, is it's, it's the reference points they talk about. So what are you actually sensing? So hamstrings are not gonna turn on because you turned it on. I mean, you could, a lot of good athletic individuals can do that, but I'm looking to make sure it improves the bone positions to, so the pressure is good. So what I might quickly say for the individual is, I want you to make sure you can feel the left heel drive into the floor more mm. as you're doing a deadlift. Or before I even said that, I'll say, hey, which heel feels heavier? Oh, I feel my right. If that's the case, left is the way to go. So those are certain things. And if you drive that left heel into the floor, it might help that, you know, that the hamstring for the issue to Rossi to pull down towards that heel yeah. and give that hamstring sensation. If it doesn't, that's fine. But those are certain things that I might utilize. So it's simple. So it's not like, can you feel the hamstrings? No, it's more like, can you sense the left heel? So it's more external stimulus kind of <laughs> onto the ground. Uh, so I think that's a little more simple um, within the complexity. I like that very much. So Kento, can you give us some kind of closing words, sum anything up? If you have any other videos or anything you wanted to show, or even like some slides maybe that you had. Actually, start with the slide. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Good on slides? No, no slides? Yeah, no slides. Perfect. All right. So then this is a great time while you're summing up and just giving us some wise closing words. Anyone who's out there who wants to ask any questions, please populate that right now, and we'll take it home from there. Awesome, awesome. So should I talk also about like where I'm at too, how to contact? Yeah, please like tell everyone where they can find you, you know, newsletter or whatever it is, whatever's going on with you at every point of contact would be great. Great, so uh, my Instagram channel is Kamiyama PT, uh, if you can spell Kamiyama PT. So it's K-A-M-I-Y-A-M-A-P-T. Uh, and then if you guys wanna reach me for any questions, I can take through email. Uh, I'll get a, you know get back an email within one or two days usually. Uh, at Kento, K-E-N-T-O, at same thing, KamiyamaPT.com. If you really want to talk to me, you're more than welcome to call me at 201-305-9665. But, you know, uh, probably good to leave a voicemail and I'll just contact back it. Yeah, I might not pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you are a brave, brave, brave person. <laughs> Okay, you use PRI, I think, what is it? So dive into, Teresa has a question, kind of what is, just take PRI a little bit more and just explain it. If someone said, Kento, what's PRI? Tell us what it is, because you've taken many more courses. I've taken UNO course. Right, right. So in the, if I can make it in the simplest way possible, 
it talks about the natural asymmetries in the body. So we, we think the right and left are supposed to be equal, like 50%, 50%. And this individual called Ron Hruska, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting him, but I will talk how I understand it, is understanding how our organs and how our body structure has differences between left and right. So because of that, they talk about we have these set patterns in life or in structure of our body. And he does he figures out how to correct these bodies and how this actually leads to help to help pains or patterns or nervous systems uh, to, to individuals. It's a it's a fascinating thing. He goes into very different things such as breathing, uh, like orthotics, he goes into teeth connections, eye connections, and how that relates to the body and how we actually move uh, and live our life. So uh, that might be a little bit too much, but it's really about how the left and right side of our body is different. Yeah, that that laterality, I think is, is it, I mean, there, I took, went all the way through physical therapy school, took years and years of continuing education. There wasn't, okay, someone can say, that they don't have to worry about laterality if they're truly assessing the right and the left, and then you don't even need to worry about patterns. And to those people, I commend you, and I think that that's, that that's great. And, and more or less, actually, how I have practiced up until this point. Um, with that being said, it's not bad to sometimes have a little bit of an awareness of what you might be seeing as far as the right versus left. Unfortunately, that can bias or pros and cons to everything, but it is nice to possibly have an ability to, okay, like here's some things we commonly see. And if they're commonly being seen together, coupling exercises, they're going to address multiple things. You might be able to access more quickly if someone's already been looking at that, thinking about that, sees that frequently, and then gives you these exercises to hit them together. So pros and cons to it. Don't stop evaluating. Don't stop assessing. But it is nice to have a bit like clear glasses maybe sometimes. So Kento, final words. I want, I want everyone to walk away. If you can get them to do one thing every day for the next seven days to make their health. Yeah, no, I'm putting you on. This is how much respect I have for you. Like Kento is a professor. He's doing all, there's no way he's going to be totally blindsided by this totally blindsiding comment that we and question that we totally didn't talk about was going to happen. But one thing that people can do every day for the next seven days to improve their health. What's your answer? Uh, OK, OK. Yeah, not on the spot at all. Um, so. Let, let me relate it to what's happening right now in our world right now. So uh, there's so much stress in our life. And I think you're going through it. Our, we're going through it. We're doing the best we can to just go through this uh, and kind of be on the other side eventually. So when we're all stressed out, we tend to be in a position where we want to breathe in more. So we want to be like we just have more things. So stress are going in. So what I would recommend right now for people that are really stressed out, especially because of COVID time, don't forget to exhale as much as possible every day. Meaning, if you get a chance once a day, breathe out as much as you can. Meaning, if it takes 30 seconds to breathe out, just go all the way out 10 times a day and then do that for seven days. You might feel difference because in a metaphoric way, you're getting things out of your body. Meaning, it might be stress, might be coming out of here. You're just getting things out. So I think my, that might not be a bad, simple yet somewhat difficult thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's the difference between 
complicated and challenging. That is not complicated. It can be challenging. Kento, I want to thank you so much. This was phenomenal to have you on. I want to thank everyone who showed up, and I want to thank everyone who's listening on YouTube or MP3 right now. Our Integrated Health Sciences, we want to thank you all for joining our movement towards movement. Have a great rest of your night, and Kento, you are the greatest. See you soon. Great to see you. Our pleasure.